0: listening to halfway there episode number 184 april diaz and power and justice in the kingdom strong episode (laughs) Welcome to Halfway There. This is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. I'm your host, Derek Nevins. Thank you so much for being here. I am glad that you've downloaded, that you're listening, and I know that this conversation is going to be encouraging to you, so stick around. I hope that you enjoy it and if you do do me a favor leave a review or a like um out on um out, you know in apple itunes or, or there's apple podcast now or uh i'm actually on tiktok i don't think i've told anybody that so if you want to check me out on tiktok you can do that as well uh our guest today she's the founder and leader of azer and co um and she's a wife a mom an advocate and a disruptor so that means this conversation should be great our <laughs> guest is april diaz april welcome to halfway there
1: <laughs> Thank you. Uh very happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me.
0: I'm glad to connect with you. So, uh tell us a little bit about kind of you and where God has you right now.
1: Uh at this moment, quite literally, I am <laughs> sitting in my office. Um I live in Orange County, California, and uh sitting at my desk, the global headquarters <laughs> as I like to call it of Azar and Co. Um a little bit more metaphorically speaking, I am a wife. I married my high school sweetheart. We've been together over 20 years, married almost well, 18. And we've got three kids an uh, 11 year old, a nine year old, and a seven year old. Those numbers are hard right now because they're all about to turn their new numbers, the uh, new ages. Yeah. So I was like, wait, how old are my kids? Um, and our family is just unique and beautiful. Uh, we've wanted it to be kind of an only God kind of story. So our, we thought we would have biological kids first and then adopt, and that whole thing didn't happen the way mm. that we anticipated. So went through uh, years of really painful, horrific infertility treatment and ended up adopting our oldest two kiddos first from Ethiopia, and then pretty miraculously got pregnant nine months later, and our littlest was born seven weeks early. So we went from zero to three kids in 15 months. Woo! Yeah, didn't that. We had a NICU baby, a two-year-old, and a three-year-old. All three of them had varying degrees of trauma. Wow. Um, so, since becoming parents nine years ago, our life has been bonkers. Um, so, you didn't really ask for all that story, but I gave it to you. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> Beyond a- that, <laughs> a year ago, I uh, started a new company called Azer and Co. And so, I am—I have self-appointed my title as founder and lead warrior. Oh, yeah. of this company uh, to activate women to live and lead with wholeness in full partnership with men. So that keeps me pretty pretty good on a daily basis.
0: Yeah. Honestly. What does that mean you do?
1: What does Azer & Co. do? Yeah. So right now we provide coaching, uh, one-on-one coaching, group coaching, and coaching certification for spiritual leaders. We do online courses and training. Um, and I am hitting the road this year. I'm going to be speaking a lot all over the place, uh, kind of telling our story as a company and what it is that we're about as an organization, um, for women. So I'll be doing speaking and writing probably more this year than I've been doing in the last few years. So that's what we're up to right now. But honestly, I've got ridiculous dreams and vision and things Mm -hmm. that I want to see us do as a company, but that's where we're starting for now. Oh, and I should also say, I, I also have a podcast. Uh, it's not directly connected to Azure & Co., but um, I have a podcast called The Global Fringe. And nice. that's a platform where we share stories, elevate voices um, of women and people of color who are leading in really beautiful ways around the world. So Awesome. Yeah, that's what we're doing.
0: Yeah, and so I'll put a link to that in the show notes at halfwaytherepodcast.com, friends, so you can find it or you can always, you're in the app, just go find go find, uh the global fringe and, uh, subscribe. So you should totally do it. Uh, it. Okay. So let's hear some of your story. I'd love to go back and figure out how God brought you here. Hear some of that story. He gave us a really nice overview. I appreciate that. So it gives us an idea of (laughs) where we're going. What, uh, so where'd you grow up? Are you from California? I'm not
1: from California. I feel like uh, it's in my bones. Like I was Mm. meant to live here my whole life, but (laughs) I was born in central Illinois. Um, Uh pretty much in a small farming community. My grandfather owned a bunch of land and was a farmer his whole life. And we lived in this tiny town in central Illinois until I was eight years old. And then my dad owned a landscaping business um, on a farm and it was did, did very well. He ran it with his brother and then felt called into ministry. And we were part of a church tradition that did not do that. Like that that's not something that God did was call people into ministry, so it was a pretty revolutionary thing for him to feel that um, calling and then to do something with it. So he sold his business and uh, moved our family down to Dallas, Texas, and he went to seminary for uh, three and a half years, got his got his master's degree. Um, so I was in Texas. In my like late elementary school years, which I think was really formative for me. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we moved back to central Illinois for a year while my dad tried to figure out where does he go from here and looked for pastoral jobs. Ended up moving to Fort Wayne, Indiana when I was in eighth grade and uh, he started a church. And so I did eighth grade and then high school in Indiana, Um, graduated high school and moved to Chicago and started full time Vocational ministry at eighteen years old. So I lived in multiple places growing up, um, and actually one of the funniest parts, weird parts of the story that also feels really formative, was I was did Christian school and then was homeschooled when I lived in Texas. And uh, then when we moved to central Illinois again, I went to a public school for the very first time. So sixth grade, I was homeschooled, lived in Texas, seventh grade. Went to public school for the first time in Illinois. Eighth grade, went to another public uh, middle school in Indiana. So middle school was a hot mess for me. Mm-hmm. And I think has shaped a lot of my world. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, well, that's interesting. Okay, how, how so? Uh,
1: well, first, I mean, one thing was I, I was a middle school pastor for a lot of years. And I think that uh-huh. I was drawn into youth ministry and fell in love with middle school students because I got how crazy it is, um, how, how much you can feel like you don't belong and you feel like out of your own skin and fish out of water. Um, but I was also, I think it was very formative for me to have experiences as a kid that were really different to be, to have homes, be homeschooled, Christian school, public school, the whole gamut, right? Like that was important. Um, To have lived in three different states and in very different, like cultural climates. Sure. You know, very small town, then like a large metropolis city, and then in a kind of a medium-sized Midwestern town. That all was uh, was really significant. We moved to Texas when I was in fourth grade, and what I have since learned about the significance of that fourth grade year—it both sets your fourth grade, um, 10 years old kind of sets your comfortability levels and, um, opens up your imagination for what is possible. And so how a fourth grader experiences that year really does like set a trajectory for adulthood. Um, so that was the year I moved to Texas. And I, I think that I've always said, even before I knew the significance of fourth grade, I've always said like, living in Dallas ruined me for the big city. Um, oh, that's interesting. I just, I was a small town farming girl and you know, now I live in orange County, California and it feels like home to me. Um, and I think that that's, that I can be traced back to that.
0: Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So obviously a Christian family, if your dad was pursuing ministry, what, like, how did that become your own? Do you, did it, you know, was it, did you have some significant mentors or a moment or not?
1: Yeah, I think the interesting backstory with that is uh, because of the faith tradition that I had grown up in, God did not call women into ministry. I mean, God didn't even call men into ministry, right? Like that was a new thing for my dad. But then even more so, that's not what God did for women. Um, Women's place was in the home and to get married, have babies, take care of house. And so I had no imagination for what could be um, for me in a vocational leadership ministry calling. So I just had never thought about it. When I was 16 years old, I had been leading in campus life in my local high school. And I was one of the seven leaders that our campus life leader called out and asked if I would be a part of this core team um, to help him you know, lead that campus life chapter in our school. And my husband is actually a part of that team as well. And it it was like the first time I'd had any sort of formal leadership. So Brad Johnson saw something in me and called that out in me without even exactly calling it out. He just invited me into participating. But then when I was a junior in high school, I went to a conference and it was for youth ministry, it was for youth workers. And I got to go kind of last minute, weird, random story, but I was sitting in the audience and I really clearly heard God say, this is what I've marked your life for. And I knew exactly what it meant, even though it, like, I never could have imagined that that would have happened. So I came home and I was like, I'm supposed to go into youth ministry. I'm supposed to be a youth pastor and no framework, no models, no mentors, no history, you know, where I could have seen that. Um, But I started pursuing that and my parents had, had enough, like, I think maturity and obedience factor to go like, okay, there's something to this and we're gonna, we're gonna let her do it. So they did.
0: Wow. Cool. Okay. So that was kind of like significant in sending you in a leadership direction and Mm -hmm. kind of, it sounds like maybe it opened up your ideas of what, what maybe was possible for you
2: as a woman. Yeah, for sure
0: interesting that that is such a as you probably know uh it's such an interesting world right such an interesting thing, the kinds of things that we allow people to imagine themselves doing um yeah. matters a great deal
2: it does
0: yeah um okay so so it sounds like that was kind of how your your faith started to develop did you as soon as you were leading how did that how did it impact your relationship with god during mm. those those seasons what was that like
1: Oh, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I had been a Christian. I had asked Jesus in my heart when I was five, you know, like their faith had always been a part of my story and a part of my family's experience. So I didn't know what life would look like apart from that. Um, and I think that serving leadership ministry made sense as just like a natural weave into my own faith. Um, and like, that was just an expression of what was happening for me internally. Um, but I think, you know, I started full-time ministry at 18 years old. So at 18, like you're still figuring out who you are, right? what you're supposed to do in the world, who it is that you want to be. All of that is still very forming. Um, and so I think that the gift of starting so young in ministry was I, at that point I did... Have a number of people who started walking alongside of me to help build mm. character, um, to help me pay attention to my soul, um, to align me to what was beyond what I did, um, but to like reroot, to root me into who I, who it is that I was, and have the things that I did be an outcome of that. So that that's a gift. I feel that like that was an unfair advantage for me. Yeah. Because I didn't like, I wouldn't have known to do that on my own, you know. And I and I certainly am the kind of person that like I just would have run really hard after achievements and goals and you know popularity and fame, all that stuff that can like really junk you up. I, that's the pathway I put it, would have naturally gone on. Yeah. But the people that were around me, I think, helped to weight me in. And at that point too, I was dating my husband. We're high school sweethearts, so. We were dating, you know, when I started full-time ministry, we actually broke up for a while in that period, but he has always been somebody who has not cared at all what I do, um, is just more concerned about who I am and loves me for that. And so like in a lot of ways, he just doesn't care and has never cared about like what podcast I'm on or yeah. where stages I speak on or who invites me to go, you know, to be on staff at a place like that's just that doesn't matter to him. Like who I am has always mattered. So I think that those people have always been like a weight for me of, um, what matters most.
0: Yeah. So what's one lesson that you learned from those people that really shaped you and changed you for the better?
2: Dramatic pause.
1: (laughs) There's a lot. Those those are Um, good. The thing that comes to mind is I was in my mid-20s. I'd been doing full-time ministry for um, probably five or six years. And my husband and I were thinking about moving on from the church that we were working at. And we weren't thinking about it. We were planning on it. We just had no idea what we were going to do next. And so uh, we had had this very kind of Abraham experience where God said, I'll go to the land, I'll show you. And we're like, cool, that sounds awesome. Good things happen well, for Abraham. That'll probably be a good thing for us.
0: That's really trusting. Wait, wait, wait. You got to tell me that story. So what? <laughs> tell me that story. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so we would both been on staff at a church in Chicago for a number of years. We were, we'd were we been married about three years at that point. And there was uh, enough that was like, just felt disruptive in our souls about what it is that we wanted to contribute to, and that was not compatible with the church that we were working at, and that gap kind of kept growing for us. So there were a number of things that we were like, we want to be a part of a church that's X, Y, and Z. We want to contribute to place to a place that looks like this, and we didn't know if a place like that existed. We just knew we couldn't stay where we were at, and um, we were like in a worship service kind of together, and very much had this sense of God say go to the land. I'll show you, which meant we needed, what we heard was like, you need to quit your job. Um, and I will reveal to you where it is that you're to go next. But that's the first step of that faith thing for you is to let go of what you're holding on is important and trust that I'm going to give you the next thing.
0: And you both heard that
1: we did. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know actually who heard it first, but we were both in agreement with each other. Um, and so we, we, we didn't. We told our bosses like we're quitting. We're done at some point, but we don't know what's next. They were gracious enough to say it's cool. Stay on board until you figure it out. But a couple months went by, and we still had no idea what what we were supposed to do. So I ended up having two panic attacks in the span of about two or three weeks. And I'm not um, by nature an anxious person, so they really scared me. Um, mm. They're ter- Panic attacks are horrifying in general, yeah. but I had no framework for anxiety either. And so going back to your question of like one of the greatest lessons, I um, had a conversation with my spiritual director. Her name is Mindy. And she had been walking with us through this transition and trying to figure out what the heck was going on for us. And she said to me, April, you have a really strong Popeye arm. And I was like, what do you mean? (laughs) And <laughs> she said, You got this, you know, Popeye, he's got this really strong bicep, like this disproportionate large bicep muscle. Oh wow. She said, But that muscle for you is work. It is getting stuff done, accomplishing goals, um, achieving things, you know, you can get a lot of stuff done. But she said, You have another arm that's incredibly emaciated. It's not proportionate. And that muscle is called rest. And unless you figure out how to learn the unforced rhythms of grace, you're gonna be in trouble. And I was like, okay, great, cool. So what else <laughs> I got? Slow <laughs> learner Eric. And I, I think that she actually gave me that illustration in between those panic attacks. So I had another one after that. And um, then she started walking me through what does it look like to be a person who runs hard and fast and accomplishes a lot of stuff and learns the unforced rhythms of grace and learns how to take a real rest. So I think that that has been one of the greatest game changers for me um, and has allowed me to stay in this gig for 20 plus years is to learn what it looks like to rest. And I'm, I mean, I'm still not like a pro at this. It is still hard for me. Um, Last night at seven o'clock, my husband came into my little office here and goes, do you know what time it is? And I said, nope. And I looked at my clock and I was like, it's seven o'clock. And he's like, you should probably get off dinner, children, bedtime, like join me. Yeah. So, you know, I'm a work in progress.
0: Yeah, that's good. But you had a spiritual director. That's really interesting. Did you, uh, how'd that come about? Because that's not, uh, unless your tradition was like that, that's that's not necessarily common.
1: No, I was at a mega church. And before that, I was at a very conservative fundamentalist church. So no, this, yeah. I had no context for it. She, uh, she oversaw uh, spiritual formation at our church. And she'd been trained in spiritual direction and had her own kind of bottoming out in her life. And um, she had three small kids at the time. And so I, I actually met her through my husband. He had been doing kind of a, a spiritual formation group with his work buddies. Um, so she was leading this as a part of her job with this group of people that my husband's team was on. And, um, and then I met her and I was like, she's amazing. I kind of want to steal her. So <laughs> That's kind of our joke because I've stolen Mindy from Brian, but that's not entirely true. She's, she has been a part of every significant decision we have made as a couple wow. um, since the early 2000s. Like there literally hasn't been anything that has been significant or meaningful or important to us that we haven't run through her because she is such a voice of wisdom and um, you know, I don't have like monthly direction meetings, conversations with her. um, But she is just consistently somebody that I go back to when, you know, something feels off in my soul or I'm needing to make a decision or I'm hitting some sort of like spiritual barrier. And I'm not quite sure what that breakthrough looks like. She has just been a gift. Um, Mm. And again, like just kind of an unfair advantage. I didn't totally go out searching for her.
0: Yeah, she was there, and I took advantage. <laughs> and you were like, "Okay, that's great,
2: mm-hmm.
0: interesting." I'm, I'm a little surprised that you didn't. Um, at least, well, maybe you did. So tell me. But uh, being a, such an achiever, and hearing you need to rest, like sometimes achievers will take rest and they'll like make it work. Yeah, you know what I mean. And yeah. they'll be like, "Okay, I'm going to develop that other arm now, and I'm just going <laughs> to, you know, start those reps." Yeah, right, right. Interesting.
1: No, she had to teach me how to do that because certainly yeah. that would have been my thing. I would have been like, great. Now, what are the 10 things I'm going to do on <laughs> <Exactly>. my Sabbath?
0: <laughs> exactly.
1: <laughs> that will be accomplishing rest.
0: 10 ways to Sabbath. Oh my gosh.
1: She certainly, she certainly had to teach me because that is not, all of this stuff is not my natural bed.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's perfect. Okay. So where did you go from there? Because how that, you obviously that led you somewhere. You, mm-hmm. you heard God say, go where I'm going to show you. What, what did that lead to?
1: So we ended up moving to California in 2004. And I took a junior high pastor position at a um, predominantly Asian American church, but it was very multi-ethnic. Um, I was the first white person they hired. Um, I was only the second female pastor that they had hired. The first one was there for less than a year. Um, so I was the only female pastor for a long time. And I was the youngest uh, pastor that they had ever hired. So I was kind of like this, three strikes and I was out trifecta of odd girl. Um, But yeah, I would took that position and we moved out here. We were in our mid twenties and uh, I worked at that church for almost 10 years. I had five different roles in 10 years and um, just grew a ton. It was quite a ride.
0: Did you experience any of the burnout that comes with ministry? A lot of people experience that spiritually. no. Mm, interesting. What What was it like?
1: Yeah. I mean, in some ways I want to say yes. Cause I want to identify with people <laughs> and be like, I get it. Well,
0: some people do. And some, maybe some people don't. Your experience could be different. That's all right.
1: Yeah, totally. I, I'm not going to, I don't want to lie and present a false story, but um, no. And I, I, it really does. It goes back to these voices, these people that, helped to root me and could see. I mean, I certainly think I was proactive. I have been very proactive in asking people, you know, what do you see? What are you noticing? How am I doing? Um, I'm having a problem. You know, I I have been fairly good at that Mm. in my life. So I'm not going to, I'll take some responsibility (laughs) for that. And I will say there's been people like Mindy, and Nancy and Jeannie and Dave and Hendre and my therapist that all along the way, I've been really like intentional to ask these other voices to speak into my life and leadership and to make sure that I don't go off the rails. So I will say that I think that the number one practice that I have had that has been crucial for my wholeness or my pursuit of that has been a monthly day of silence and solitude.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I have done that, um, for almost 15 years, the first Monday of every month, uh, with the exception of about three to four years in the middle of that, when my kids were really young and we were in like straight up survival mode. Yeah. <laughs> and I still think I probably could have found a way to make that happen, but I didn't. And so, um, yeah. For, for over a decade though, that has been uh, a really grounding practice, And I think that that has saved me from the burnout. Um, Mindy, another like kind of text passage that she has used, um, in my life pretty profoundly is I've spent a lot of time talking about like, what's the benefit if you gain the whole world and you lose your soul. And, um, being married to the man that I am and then having the people around me that I've other people that I've had around me that I have, um, that passage has just been really important that like, it's just not worth it. It's not worth it for me to lose my marriage or my kids or the work that I love to do. um, If it's going to kill me, Um, I want to be in this for the long haul. So I haven't experienced that amount of burnout. I have experienced some lows and some, periods of like running too hard too long, but not the kind of burnout that lots of people do experience.
2: Yeah.
0: That's good. Um, so have you had ever had like a dark night of the soul or a time when God felt like he was far away?
1: Oh yeah. Lots of them. Uh, Several of them actually. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Which one do you want to hear about?
0: (laughs) It's up to you.
1: (laughs) Oh man. Uh, I'll give you the most recent one. Uh, I've had a few for sure. Um, And all of them have been in my adult years. All of them have been kind of at points where like the foundation of how I viewed faith and God and my relationship in that was being like altered. Like there was a seismic shift that was happening. Yeah. Um, So I would say the most recent one was about, three years ago. And uh, we had moved to Northern Indiana for ultimately to be closer to extended family. But we also moved because my husband got a job um, that presented kind of a new career path opportunity for him. So we moved in July of 2015. And we lived there exactly two years, like literally to the day. It was kind of creepy. Wow. Didn't plan that, but to the day. And those two years were a dark night of the soul. Um, the, the job that my husband took within six months, uh, he ended up quitting because it was horrific. Um, it was killing him. He had two panic attacks as well in the span of about four or five weeks. Um, but yeah, the promise of what that was just bottomed out. Um, the family that we had moved close to be with, A lot of kind of both unmet expectations, but also um, just shifts and like understanding like we're in a different place um, Mm. than our family was and we're different people.
0: Like spiritually, do you mean?
1: Definitely spiritually, Uh. um, value wise, um, the way that we think about the world and our place in it. Um, You know, we've been we've been living 2000 plus miles away from them for over a decade and then we kind of come back home air quote
2: <laughs> yeah
1: and we were really different and they were probably different as well but we just had con- kind of gone two different directions um and then you know we we don't need to go into this if you don't want to but like we it was a really interesting political climate at that point sure um and our family is a very multi ethnic darker colored family for the most part. And we were living in a, in a place that was pretty conservative and pretty unaware of like racial realities that were happening.
0: Yeah. Uh,
1: so like the KKK was active about 10 miles from our house and we have wow. two black children. Um, so there was, there was a lot of stuff going on. We were just pretty miserable. We had this gorgeous house that we owned, beautiful property. You know, there was a lot that like on a surface, at least financial level looked really good. Um, but we were dying inside and, um, the things that I thought the church was supposed to be and do in this world felt very different, um, from what we were experiencing. Um, the church that we were a part of for those couple of years was good in some ways. And it was also actually felt re-traumatizing for us and others. And, um, and so we, we just felt really alone, um, and really unknown and, mm. Like, we had just made this massive mistake <laughs> moving 2,000 miles away from a lot of what we knew and loved and was important to us. And so those two years, yeah, it really hmm. shifted some things and, and clarified what it is that we wanted to be about in our life.
0: Yeah. Where was God during all that?
1: It's interesting because, like, the different dark nights of the soul, I have felt God differently. Um, I actually felt in that season like God was really close. mm um, that God like wept with us. Um, that there was a, a sadness around the, the, the distance between what we felt like the church particularly was supposed to be and do and what our experience with what the church was. Um, so God felt, yeah, I felt like God was very tender and very close and very, um, just mourned and lamented with us. Um, but it didn't feel like God certainly didn't feel like fun and adventurous and like you know like uh yeah. like those happier parts uh that I enjoy about who God is. You know what I mean?
0: I do. Yeah, it sounds like it was really isolating relationally and as a result God was closer maybe.
1: I think that's fair. Was yeah. was he
0: cuz a lot of times a dark night he'll use that to take something out of you, right? To mm-hmm. take John of the Cross has that image of like gold, right? You refine gold and kind of the, yeah. the things. What, what, what do you think he was doing that t- in that season for you?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think one, Brian and I, Brian's my husband, I haven't said his name. I've just referred to him, I realized. <laughs> uh, Brian and I, I think, got really clear on what it is that we wanted uh, for our family. The kind of culture, the kind of environment, the kind of values that we wanted to build our family with. And, um, you know, sometimes when like you're a fish in water, you just, you don't realize you're in water, you're just swimming. And we felt so fish out of water, um, for those two years that we, we just had a lot of clarifying conversations of, no, this is who we want to be. This is the kind of family that we want to, to raise. This is the opportunities that we want for our kids. This is the kind of commitments we want to make. So that was really valuable. Um, figure out like we're fish we belong in this kind of water otherwise we will die
2: yeah right (laughs) Um,
1: but I also think like work-wise for me there was a lot of clarification around what is it that I actually want to contribute to and build and invest in and at that point I was contributing to other people's visions that started to feel more and more misaligned with my own values um, and with my own vision yeah. And so um, I think that was significant. I think the third piece was we started really seeing like the racial disparity and the systemic injustices of our country um, when it was we were living in a pre- very strongly predominantly white community with um, my husband's Hispanic, we've got two Ethiopian kids, and then our biological son is mixed, obviously. And, um, I know what it's like to be a white girl, just living in a, in a majority. That's, that was most of my growing up years, but most of my adult years, I have been a minority and I've, I've come to like that, that feels normal to me now, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but it also, uh, has taught me a lot about like systemic injustice and oppression and privilege and, um, racial disparity and all of that kind of stuff. And so I think living in a place where that felt so stark and bold mm-hmm. and like in my face, it, it gave us some language and some deeper commitment to, to be a first a family, but then, um, for me to be a leader that speaks to this, um, that contributes towards progress and not, isn't silent or complicit to the injustices. Nice. Oh, there's some.
0: There were some good things that happened there. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's interesting. So, um, you know, I grew. Jody and I both grew up in Iowa. My wife. Yep. And we went. We visited for um, Christmas, and I've never felt so out of place in Iowa. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Iowa is a very white place, and it's a great place. I love my family, but I'm starting to realize we're kind of we've been gone a while, (laughs) and so we're we kind of outgrown some of the things that that we used to believe.
2: Yeah.
0: And yeah,
1: same, same.
0: that's true in a lot of places, um, mm-hmm. you know. If you leave, so it is interesting. And I don't know. We could we could go into all those kinds of things. I I think the hardest part is if you don't you if you don't see if um, the problems with racial injustice that mm-hmm. still are. We're we're recording this a couple of days after MLK Day, right? So yeah. uh, if you don't if you don't even see them, it's really hard to even pay attention, right? Because yeah. it's in, in states like that. It's just. Not something that they have to deal with, even though yeah, I
1: actually just read um I mean, I'm always learning, right because i as a white woman in our country, I carry a lot of inherent privilege, and one of the things that I was reading on Monday is that if you don't even see the injustice uh if you're if you're not a, if there's not a hunger to have those injustices mm. made right what that is an indicator of is how full of your privilege you actually are. Yeah. And I you know, it just it's kind of like once you pull back the curtain and you see it, it's like you can't not see it anymore. Yep. And so that has been true of me. And you know, my Brian was like the first entry point in me getting that and seeing that because he grew up as a brown skin boy in a predominantly white spaces and, you know, parents spoke another language and ate different foods and all kinds of things that I just had no context for. Um, But I've been on a really intense journey in the last 20 years now Mm. to, to uncover like what's my privilege and how do I use that for the sake of others and, and use that in a way that will um, bring some justice.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I was going to ask the question, like how, what does that teach you about God?
1: So if your listeners are into the Enneagram, uh, I'm an Enneagram eight with a seven wing. So what that means in my everyday life is like, I I love challenging things. Like I am all about like burning down all of the stuff that hurts people. And I want to rebuild things that are for all of us. Um, and that will benefit all of us, not just those with the power and, um, like I have a really fun side too. and I love ideas and I like creating stuff and I'm, uh, I can be wild like that, so I think that it has shown me those parts about who God is as well. Um, that that God is powerful and desires for there to be justice for all, and um, but the the part that has surprised me in the last few years is um, is the the lament that is required. And so I think that it's taught me a lot about how much God laments for Mm. all that is not right in the world. And again, that's not my natural bent. I would rather be angry than sad. Um, I'd rather burn stuff down than build stuff some days, but this has been like a real practice for me in, in grieving and of feeling just deep sadness for all that is not right. And how that has Harmed so many people in our country um, for centuries, and how it continues to um, even at the hands of the church. And so, I think that that has been like that's been a real good tethering for me to understand a part about God that doesn't come as naturally for me.
0: Yeah. Wow. Absolutely. I want to still talk about um, Isra and Co. So let's so. Tell us about kind of what you're doing there.
1: Well, if you would have told me two years ago that this was what I would do, I would have said, you're crazy. This is not a part of my plan. This is not a part of like my like leadership trajectory or ministry. But um, I have been a woman in leadership for over 20 years and I have been able to lead at two incredibly influential, uh, affirming churches of women and of their value and contribution to the church based on gifts, not just on gender. Um, And yet I have always been one of the minorities around the table gender wise. Sometimes I've been the only female in the room. Um, Yeah. There's still such a disparity between uh, women leading in full partnership with men in all spaces. And so, first of all, I had to go on a pretty, significant theological journey because my background certainly did not say that this was blessed by God for me to do what I'm doing. Some would say I am sinning. Um,
0: Was that difficult?
1: It was. Yeah. 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 There was a lot of dissonance because it's, it's the system you've grown up in. So to, to buck that system and reframe what has been said to be true and what, what it is that you should be doing yeah, there's some loss in that to what it is that you've believed and also in some relationships, right? Yeah. But um, like when you have a sense and a calling from God that is in disagreement to what you've been taught, uh, my, my choice was to look at, well, what does God actually say then, not those other voices. So I went on a big theological journey, which – Uh, You know, led me into me continuing to do all the things that I'm doing. But that's why Azer and Co exists now. Is there is still such a disparity between women leading and teaching um, alongside of men in all spaces? You know, in boardrooms, in pulpits, uh, in homes, in our political sectors there's just a a minority of us um, in all of those spaces. And so much injustice, I mean, if you look even on a global level, right, with the amount of abuse and trafficking and economic disparity, women lose all the time. And so because I think that that's always been my desire to see more justice come in the world and to challenge those things that are unfair and unequal, um, there is nothing more personal to me than like, my gender, (laughs) my my womanhood. And now I have a daughter and two sons that I want the world to be different for. So this whole thing just birthed out of the essence of who I am. I actually have azer tattooed on my arm. Oh, wow. Cool. And uh, I've got the Hebrew word azer, but then I've also got the English translation for it. I got that tattooed on my arm about five or six years ago when I learned um, what that word actually meant. And what it looks like for women to be who it is that we've been created to be. So now we're just now we're going to do all the things to awaken women and activate them and, and help men partner better with us mm. so that we can see more of the kingdom come. I think some of the reason we don't see more good things come on earth as it is in heaven is because of the ways that we have squashed and silenced women to not see that come.
0: Yeah, it's kind of tough to do when you're squashing half your population, right? Or better. Yeah. Or better. What, what, I, maybe you said it and I missed it, but what does Azer mean?
1: Okay, yeah, I did not say that. Okay, good. I felt like I was talking for way too long. I, so was, I was feeling
0: thought... like a bad podcast host, but that's
1: good. I was like, did I miss <laughs> so, that? I I'm just talking too much, so I thought I would pause it. And... No, it's,
0: it's all about your story.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the word Azer, it's a Hebrew word, uh, it's used 21 times in the Old Testament out of the Bible. And twice it's used to describe woman um, when God forms her out of the side of, of man in Genesis 2. And our, our translations often translate azer as I will make a helper who is suitable for him. So it's, oh. I will make an azer that is suitable for him. So azer is sometimes translated as helper or helpmate or helpmeet. That word um, has been used to really place women in subordinate, secondary, lesser than, um, positions like, yeah, you just, you, you help the man do all of his things. Um, even though in Genesis one and two, uh, when God creates man and woman, God gives them both, uh, four mandates to, to make and reign and fill and multiply the earth. All four mandates were given to both men and women. So there's one piece of it, but, uh, in those 21 times the Azer is used in the Old Testament, twice it's used to describe the women, but uh, 16 times it's that word Azer is used to describe God. And so that word has been horribly um, translated and then placed on women as something that is less than because there is no way that God is less than right. um, or secondary or subordinate or just helping us in our life. Um, God is much more than that. So it it can be translated as helper, but it's also translated elsewhere in the Old Testament as as rescuer, um, as a strong helper, or as a warrior. So I want women to be warriors.
0: Oh, interesting. Wow. Okay. So this, as a Bible nerd, so I have a degree in biblical studies and like that, that just proves, right, the importance of doing your own study. You know, so often, uh, friends, even, always read out of more than one translation because even... Yeah. E- even the ones that you've got are they are they're created. Bias. They're yes, they're biased. I'm trying not to say, I'm trying to say it nice. Yeah. But they're yeah. they're translated by people who have their own yep. theological views. And so yep. they they definitely are putting things there that they believe. So uh yep. interesting. But that's fascinating that it it that same word is used of God. Yeah.
1: 16 out of the 21 times. More. Hazer is used to describe God. Yeah.
0: So you can't, you can't use that of women and say, no, Mm -hmm. and say that's, oh, that's
1: great. No, we have missed it. We have really missed it. So I want, I mean, her name came really easily to me because I want to reclaim what it is that women have actually been created in the beginning. I, I say all the time, your whole story matters. I believe that to be true for your life and my life, but I also believe that's true for like humanity. And our, yeah. if our whole story matters, we need to go back to the beginning and what was actually formed in the very beginning um, of who woman has been created to be. And it's not just the importance of what an Azer is, like that I am a warrior. I am a strong helper. I am a rescuer. Um, but also that we are to do it in the company of one another. Um, it's, it's me mm. plus others. And that's other Azers, but that's also men. So this this partnership piece is also what has been designed from the beginning. Um, man and woman were to be in partnership with each other. This word azer actually has little to nothing to do with marriage. Um, it has mostly to do with relationship and with identity. And so I, I yeah I want to reclaim that word in a biblical sense, but it's it's broader than that because yeah. every woman has been created as an azer, regardless of whether or not she believes. And in, in God, you know, whether or not right. she has a relationship right. with Jesus. So it transcends that. And we are to do that in the company of one another, because that's how we've also been created is to do life together.
0: Amen. And isn't that interesting? Also, how powerful it is to um, create partnerships instead of just marriages, right? Like there's mm-hmm. marriage is a partnership of sorts, but, you know, yep. when you have someone to walk you, when you walk together, it's a whole different deal than you know, some of the ones, some of the things I've, I've certainly was brought up to, to believe.
1: Yeah. So I did an episode this last season, um, with a friend of mine, his name is Mike Park and we used to work together. Um, I hired him. He was, he reported to me. Um, so there was a power structure there, but there was also, we established a really strong friendship. And, um, so I had him on my podcast to talk about, um, can men and women really be friends? And we talked about like, what does partnership look like in friendship with one another? And I love the episode because it's just, he and I talking about what friendship looks like for us. Um, but or, uh, later on this fall, I was doing some reading and uh, Trumper Longman talks mm. about what does it look like for men and, to be allies to women? And that's what we call the men that are in partnership with us at azor & Co. is the women are Azers and men are allies, like, and we need to be in relationship with each other. Gotcha. But Tremper Longman um, translates ally and he describes it as um, thinking about men and women standing back to back against the wilds of chaos as God's image bearers who bring goodness and order to his name. And I like I love that so much, too, because it, that doesn't mean it's just marriage relationships. Like it looks right. like what right. does it looks like for you and I to stand back to back to one another with one another um, against the wilds of chaos as our, as the individual Im- image bearers and that God has given, um, to us. So yeah, mm. there's a lot more to that.
0: I love that. Trevor Longman's good too. So that's, that's a <laughs> good name drop there. Yeah. Oh man. He's amazing. He's <laughs> guys feel, uh, for old Testament scholars, you can't go wrong. He's, he's really good. Anyway. Um, well, that's awesome. So I love that. So what does that mean? You do you do coaching and you do speaking and you do, you guys are having events where you bring people yep. out and you have a whole thing. Mm-hmm.
1: Yep. Yeah. So the coaching pieces is, is really where we're getting started. Um, I was certified in coaching about seven years ago. Um, and I love, love, love coaching cause it helps people to see results in their life, um, much quicker than they would without that process, without that structure and that accountability. So, um, I do one-on-one coaching, but we've got a team of people that are starting this year to do coaching for us, um, to broaden our one-on-one coaching. We've got coaching groups, um, with So groups of women that come together for a six-month journey. And that whole process is designed around how do we lead ourselves to our whole self. Um, because self-leadership is kind of what makes or breaks our ability to stay leading, to stay in the game yeah. for the long haul. Um, and then we train coaches uh, in partnership with a globally recognized uh, training organization. Because I want to see more spiritual leaders mm. know what it looks like to use the art and the science Uh, that we have available to us to see transformation take place in people's Mm. lives. So that's, you know, people who are certainly pastors, but also nonprofit leaders and teachers and podcasters and, you know, folks that are in all kinds of jobs, business owners, uh, people that do all kinds of work, but see their work as spiritual. And they want to to see change happen with the people that they are influencing. So I I feel like that, that coaching piece is the strongest aspect of what we're doing. But certainly'll we'll, we'll be doing retreats and training yeah. and online courses and all that kind of stuff as we grow and develop.
0: Oh I love that I wanted to mention it at least so that if our friends are listening friends if you're listening you want to hear more you want to join in um, so you, you can do that it's Azer and Co that's Ezer and Co. com and that'll be in the show notes at halfwaytherepodcast.com as well so it's easy to do it or if you just look in your app there it's, they're all right there just click the link go <laughs> go, go check it out okay well uh, April I appreciate you being here I appreciate uh, the conversation and sharing a little bit of your story I love what you're doing you are bringing the kingdom of God that is already more to fruition I think that's great thanks a lot thanks
1: Brian I appreciate you having me